Good morning, everybody. My name is Ian. Most of you probably know who I am, uh, one of the pastors here at Door of Hope. I'm going to back this up. Josh White and I are in a contest to see who can get this rug to do a full 360 before the end of the service. I don't know if you guys have noticed how much this thing shifts. It's like a boogie board. So I'm, I'm letting him win. So I'm going to back up off this thing. Um, good morning. Boy, I haven't been here in a while. I don't know where I'm at. What day is it? There's lights. Go and grab a Bible. Uh, we're going to hop into this. Open up to 1 Peter. We're going to close this out this morning. As we turn here, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the, in the pew right in front of you. 1 Peter chapter 5. As you're turning there, I wanted to just say a, a quick word about, uh, there's been some confusion about the different translations that we use because we post the, the message, we post the passage up on, on the screen now. And people have come to us and said, Do I, is this Bible right? Is that Bible right? There's, it didn't, that Bible that I had in my hand wasn't exactly the same as it was written on the screen. There's different translations of the Bible and um, whenever we have readers come up, we try to always give them an ESV translation, which is what we have back here. But if you have a Bible that's not an ESV translation, I have a Bible that's not an ESV translation, it's totally fine. Some of the words may not be exactly the same, but clearly the message is saying the same thing. Um, so if you come across that, don't be, don't be alarmed. There's many different translations of the Bible, but um, the message is the same. The, the, the words and the ideas are conveying the same, the same thing. So. 1 Peter chapter 5, join along with me as I read along here. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, overseeing not under compulsion, but willingly, according to God, and not for dishonest gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. And you younger men likewise be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober mind and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished among your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, strengthen, confirm, and ground you. To him be might forever and ever. Amen. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and bearing witness that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as so does my son Mark. Greetings, greet one another with a holy kiss of love. Peace be with you to all who are in Christ. Bow your heads with me as we, as we get into this. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your consistency. Thank you that we can depend on you. Thank you that you do not grow weary and tired. Thank you that you are not fatigued. Thank you that you are not deluded. Thank you that you do not grow dim or lesser than you are. Thank you that you are immutable. Us fallible human beings need a God like that. Thank you for being kind 
Thank you for being merciful. And I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning that I would be quiet and that only what it is that's in the word would be preached and would be spoken. And that, Spirit, you would communicate to the people who are in this room, to the people who may be listening online, convict them, comfort them, show them the love and the grace and the mercy of God the Father. May we grow in hearts of worship. May, we, may our hearts be transformed more today. May salvation come into this room. I pray for unbelievers. I pray for believers who are hurting. I pray for believers who are tired. I pray for believers who feel unseen. God, you see them. You love them. Speak to us this morning. Your people are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I uh, begin this traverse through 1 Peter chapter 5, um, the first couple of things that I want to point out is here in verse 1, the word therefore, the word elders, and then Peter's term here, fellow elder. It helps, I mean, we've been going through 1 Peter for seven weeks now, and so it's easy to forget what it was that has been said, what it is that has been taught, what it is that are lessons that we maybe took and then forgot or maybe missed the first time around. And so I want to pull chapters 1 to 4 into chapter 5. That's what this therefore is. They are, the, the wise guys of, of, uh, of Bible exegesis say, what is the therefore, therefore? Well, the therefore is there to remind us is in conclusion, chapters 1 through 4, what's been taken place, what's been said, taught, and spoken. Now bring that here. We're taking all of that and we're coming here to this point. And there's a few points that Peter wants to make here. He says, therefore, considering all of chapters one through four, I exhort the elders. Now, before you start dialing away on your smartphone and tuning out because you think, well, I'm not an elder, so this isn't a word for me, verse five here is a smelling salt for you. Wake up and pay attention. Verse five, he says, therefore, likewise, you younger men be subject to the elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility. So he begins with a word to the elders of the church, but he's not just talking about leadership. He's talking about Christian living as well. He's not just talking to pastors and preachers. He's talking to parishioners because all of us, born again of the Holy Spirit, have a new identity. We have a new code. We have a new ethic. We have a new ethos and a new lifestyle. And our lifestyle here, the way that we lead and the way that we live, makes no sense in the world around us. It makes no sense at all unless we have a living hope in the resurrected Christ from the dead. None of this is going to make any sense. The way that Peter exhorts us to live, the way that Peter exhorts us to lead makes no sense in the world because it's, anath it's antithetical to the, the motives and the reasons that the world says to pursue leadership, to try to climb up some ladder. That is not the way that Christians do it. There are Christian leaders in the church. There are positions of leadership, but those are positions of service, not positions of power. It's very different. It's very different. It doesn't make any sense unless we consider chapters 1 through 4, because Peter not only is talking about leading, he's talking about living, and living in the, in the, in the Christian way, living as exiles. Remember chapter 1, he says, you're exiles. This is not your home. This is not ultimately where you belong. But that's because, chapter 1, verse 1, it's because you are chosen, verse 5, you are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation that is going to be revealed in the last time. We are foreigners, we are exiles, we do not belong here because we are chosen, because we have an eternal family, we have a spiritual family, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We don't use that position, we don't use that 
that standing before God as purely righteous because we're covered in the blood of Jesus, we are covered with his righteousness, we are covered with his perfection, we don't use that and then snub our nose at the world. We tell the world, come with us. And so we serve from humility. We serve, we do not lord it over people. We do not dominate them. And while we're serving, we also suffer. And this is all throughout the book. This is chapters one through four. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna just machine gun Kelly a few of these right at you. So if you've got a pen, go ahead and write these down. They're good to remember. I can't believe I just referenced machine gun Kelly. I don't even know who he is. I just know his name. Chapter two, verse 19 and 20. For this finds favor. For if the, the sake of conscience towards God, a person patiently endures suffering, or they endure sorrows while suffering unrighteously or while suffering for doing good, suffering for something that they did not do, suffering in a way that they do not deserve. What credit is there then that if you sin and are treated harshly, you endure? What credit is there? If you sin and you get hurt, you drive drunk and get a DUI, bonk your head on a telephone pole, you kind of had that coming. You can't get mad at anybody about that. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this finds favor with God. If you don't care about finding favor with God, this book doesn't mean anything to you. If you don't care about having peace with the Father, of looking forward to that inheritance that is not here, then this letter is going to miss you. You are going to miss this letter. Chapter three, verse nine. Do not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Revenge just seems like such a good idea, doesn't it? A lot of the time, I'm gonna get back at that person. I'm gonna, even if it's just verbally. You just want that last quick, witty comeback to just cut somebody, a verbal laceration. Don't do that. Why? It doesn't make any sense. Why not stand up for yourself in that way? Well, because you should be giving a blessing instead, for you were called for this very purpose so that you might inherit a blessing from the Lord. Chapter three, verse 17. It is better if God wills it to be so that you suffer for doing good rather for doing wrong. Suffer for doing good. Why should that be a virtue? Why should we care about that? Well, verse 18, because Christ also suffered for the sins once and for all, the unrighteous or the righteous for the unrighteous so that he might bring you to God. This is one of those verses where I don't, I don't think that the weight of it I don't feel like the glory of this verse really penetrates our minds most of the time. It's easy to read right by, right by that and move on to the newspaper. The righteous suffered for the unrighteous so that he might bring you to God, having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. If you wanna be brought to God. I mean, what an amazing idea that really is. What an amazing reality that is, especially whenever you start considering who this God of the Bible is, how good he is, how wise he is, how in control he is, how loving and patient and merciful he is. But we're gonna get there in a minute. Chapter four, verse one. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Arm yourselves with the same purpose for suffering. It's not what the world tells us to do. This is not what our culture tells us to do. This is the opposite of what our culture tells us to do. What's the Bible giving us that the world's not? Well, Hitz goes on to say, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased to sin. Chapter four, verse 13. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Why? So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice 
and exaltation. Chapter four, verse 19. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God must entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Entrust your souls while serving and suffering. Serving and suffering. We do not serve for power or prestige or fame, Instagram followers, Facebook influence. We don't do this for popularity and we don't do it for money and we don't do it because I wanna be the big man. We don't do it because I wanna be looked at. I wanna get the high five with the windmill. I wanna get the pats on the back. This is not what we are supposed to do. It's not a right motivation and you will burn out because serving the Lord in this world is not a very popular thing to do. It's not a good way to become famous. Most people do not care. Peter emulates this whenever he, right here in the beginning, fellow elder. Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. He's just coming down and he's leveling with his people. He doesn't throw his authority as an apostle around. He's not showing off. He identifies himself as an apostle in chapter one, but here, whenever he's exhorting to the elders, he just comes down and says, I'm a fellow elder. I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I'm a partaker of that glory that's to be revealed. I'm an exile just like you. I'm not at home just like you. I'm suffering while I'm serving just like you. The very humility that he's manifesting here, he goes on to prescribe and to command in chapter, in verses two and three. Shepherd the flock among you, overseeing not under compulsion, but willingly, according to God, and not for dishonest gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to you, but being examples. We're not to do this under compulsion. We're not to, we're not to do this by some mechanical contrivance where it's just this like awful burden. We have to get out of bed every day and be elders of the church. And by the way, if you want to understand elders of the church, leaders of the church, I don't want to get into like a long technical explanation of that this morning, but you can read 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 verses 5 and following. And I, I, I just say, I'll just say this quickly in reference to elders. Whenever he's speaking about elders, this is what he's referring to. In Titus chapter one, verse nine, he says, hold fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that you will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to, and to reprove those who contradict. Basically, elders, there's qualifications for elders. Uh, there's different roles that elders do play, but the main thrust, I think, is that they, that they are standing and watching and making sure that the biblical teaching that's in the church is actually biblical teaching. Matt By and Evan and Mark are supposed to come to me and tune me up if I start getting wily with these verses because I don't like what it says and it's kind of harsh and doesn't make me feel good and so I'm gonna skirt on it a little bit and dilute it. They're supposed to come at me and say, bro, you say what the Bible says, you don't say what you think. You say what the Bible says. Elders are supposed to do this and we don't do it from a place of domineering. We do it from a place of service and actually we do it as people who know that we're gonna be held accountable. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, obey the leaders in your church and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And this they will do with joy and not with groaning for this would be unprofitable for you. It doesn't really do you much good if I come here as a pastor and preach to you, but I don't like you and I don't wanna be here. Friends, I want to be here and I love being here. This is a privilege to be here. 
I want to serve you. I want to do this. I've been here since three o'clock this morning because I was excited to get up here and talk about Jesus. But if I start going sideways and thinking that, well, I want a little bit more money. I deserve a little bit more praise. I deserve a little bit. I'm fired and I'm back at UPS like that. I've never been to UPS, but I'll get a job there if I can. But if I start, <laughs> if, I, if I can pass a drug test, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I just had to let, I just couldn't let that one lie. If I start getting wily in my motives, if I start getting a little bit edgy and I need, a, I need, I need something to just take off the edge of ministry, friends, there's no motivation that's going to keep someone in the ministry except for a love of the Lord. Peter knew that. Whenever he was reinstated into leadership at the Sea of Galilee in John 21, Jesus asked him, do you have a PhD? Do you have your master's in Hebrew and in Greek? Are you loquacious? Are you good looking? Do you talk well? He didn't say any of that. He said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Because there is no other way that a preacher or an elder, a pastor is gonna, is gonna do the work over and over and over again and not burn out. And that goes for Bible study leaders, that goes for community group leaders, that goes for the people that are doing the coffee, people who are hanging with the kiddos Sunday after Sunday. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We serve and we suffer and we do not do it for praise. We do not do it for money. And we don't do it to be tyrants. We don't do it to dominate, to lord over people. Peter says, I'm a partaker of the glory. He's not tyrannical. He says, be willing, be eager. Being willing and being eager means being confident in Christ and content. Being content. I don't, I don't need anything from you. I don't want to show up on Sundays and, and preach and prepare for this while we're getting the bathroom ready for the baby to come and my brain is fritzed out because I, I, don't, I, don't, wanna, I don't want you guys to owe me anything. That is not what this is about. This is about loving the Lord. This is about being a partaker in, this, in the glory that's going to come. And I wanna take a little bit of time and talk about this. We're not, we're not to do this for domineering reasons. We're not, to be, we're not to be like under compulsion for some weird reason. We're to be compelled by nothing but love. Second Corinthians 5.14 says that the love of Christ compels us. And I'm gonna risk not getting to the end of this first Peter passage this morning because I wanna take some time to go back to John and tell you guys that an experience that I had teaching through John's gospel in the last six months that has absolutely floored me, absolutely buttressed my understanding as having an identity in Christ. That was one of the biggest struggles coming into my faith was understanding that I'm no longer just this autonomous street punk who can do whatever I want with whoever I want when I want. I just want to do hood rat stuff with my friends. And I came under the guidance of a king who really has a lot to say about the way that I live and the way that I think and the way that I talk. And that, that newness of identification, as rad as it is, it really has taken a long time to settle that I have a king if you're a Christian, you have a king. If you're not a Christian, you have a king. And you're gonna learn today, he's good. He's good. It's good news that you have a king. And as I was teaching through John over the last six months, especially John 13 to 21, the Lord used those passages to just rewire my heart and build in me a greater affection and a trust for him and a, and a greater awareness of sin. It's amazing how those two things happen at the same time. But if you look at Jesus and John, this is why you guys should come to the evening service. We're going through the Bible slow, verse by verse. 
seeing the intimate details of Jesus' life. We're going to start Acts when I get back from paternity leave. Come, 6 p.m. It's going to be awesome. I want to spend like at least a year doing it. But we're in John, and as I'm, as I'm studying through this and reading through this, the story that everybody knows, Jesus came, he died, he rose again, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. It's, it's unfortunate how that can just sort of become rhetoric you know it can just become an easy thing that we say but man if you stop and pause even the story that you know it's got so much life because it's the gospel it's the living and active word of God and some of the things that jumped out at me as I was teaching this about Jesus about how rad he is how in control he is how powerful he is how loving and gracious he is just came alive to me the Lord revealed to me how sweet is his counsel and how sweet is his work and how sweet is his character If you juxtapose John chapter 6, where Jesus miraculously feeds 20, 25,000 men, women, and children in the Golan Heights, the western shores of the Sea of Galilee with a kid's sack lunch, and the people get so stoked, they're like, this guy can babysit our kids, he can make us food, and he can heal our diseases, we're going to make him president. And it says right there, they were going to force him to become king. And isn't that what Jesus came to do? Didn't he come to be the Messiah? Didn't he come to rule? But these people want to make him king. And in that moment of excitement, Jesus actually leaves. He goes back up into the mountains and goes to pray and leaves everybody behind. But then John chapter 18, he's been betrayed. Judas has done his work. And it says that Jesus went to the garden, he went to the Mount of Olives, and Judas knew the place well. Jesus does not hide. He knows that the ax is coming down. He knows that the cross is coming right on top of him, and he doesn't hide. He doesn't cower. He goes right to a place where Judas knows to find him, and then a thousand, roughly a thousand men, Roman, Roman soldiers and temple police, come for him up the mountain in the middle of the night with swords and spears and torches. He sees them coming. And in verse 4, chapter 18, verse 4, the, the crowds come and it says that Jesus went forth. And that struck me anew. So you mean to tell me that this is a king who when people are excited about him, but wrongly, and they want to make him a terrestrial king here and now to overthrow the Romans, he goes into the hills. But then when they come to kill him, he steps forward. He steps between the Roman soldiers and his people. He went forth, powerful. He comes forth. He's not hiding this is not God's plan failing. This is God's plan coming to fruition. One of, my favorites, one of my favorite stories immediately following that, he asked them, who do you seek? And they say, we're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. And he says, I am he. And these thousand hardened Roman soldiers, temple police with, with sword and spear and shield fall backwards. They fall on the ground at a word. He's not failing. He's in control. He's letting them do this. He's letting them arrest him. Why? in order that you might be holy and blameless and above reproach, Colossians chapter one. He's letting this happen. Look at his control, look at his poise, look at his mercy, look at his power under control. He's letting this happen. He goes to Pontius Pilate, they beat him up a little bit, they have a sham uh, hearing in (laughs) uh, circus court and then they bring him to Pilate and in a moment of frustration, Pilate looks at Jesus right in the white of his eyes and says, do you understand who I am? Do you know that I could kill you or let you go? And Jesus said to him, you would have no authority over me except what's been given you. And that doesn't stop there. Letting them do it. They scourge him, they mutilate him, they beat him up, they stick him to a cross. And it looks like he's been a victim. It looks like he's lost. It looks like, well, you know, Jesus, 
powerful and mighty, at least here in this moment, is out of control. At least here in this moment, right, he's beat, he's hurt, he's lost control, he's lost omnipotence, he's lost control. The word that's used in John 20, verse 30, Jesus had received the sour wine and then he said, it is finished, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. That word for bowing, he bowed his head, is the same word that's used in Matthew 8 when Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He took rest. It is finished, the work is done, Jesus gave up his spirit. No one took his life from him. He says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord and I have authority to take it up. Again, this authority has been given to me by my father. Why is this important? Because he was never out of control. He knew that he was going to die exactly when he did, the exact way that he said he was going to because the day that he happened to die was just before a high Sabbath day. So the Jewish authorities around him were like, we can't have these guys hanging on the cross. It'll pollute high day. So we need to kill them quickly and we need to get their bodies down now. And the way that they would do that, because crucifixion would sometimes take two or three days to actually kill someone, it was intended to be torture. They would break the legs of the victim so that you could no longer push your, push your chest up and get a breath of air. So you shatter their legs to pieces. That takes care of that. Asphyxiation sets in and you die. And so the, the Jewish authorities go to Pilate and they say, hey, can we have these guys' legs broken so that we can clean this up? And Pilate says, break their legs. And the Roman soldiers, under a direct order from the Roman governor, break the first thief's legs, break the other thief's legs. They come to Jesus and they don't break his legs because he's already dead. I mean, you have no authority over me except what God has given you. A direct order from Pontius Pilate. They come to Jesus, he's dead. Break his legs anyway. The boss told us to, just do it. Quit being a Nance, snap him. But they didn't. They didn't break his legs. Why? Because even in death, even at that level of humility, Jesus Christ was in control. God was doing what God ordained to do. Prophecy was being fulfilled in that very moment. The Psalms say in Psalm 34 that not a bone of his body will be broken. The, sac the sacrificial lamb was supposed to be perfect, was perfect, no broken bones. And Jesus was the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not a bone was to be broken. Jesus knew that it was gonna be a high day. He knew that they were gonna break his legs. He died exactly whenever he was supposed to. The psalm was playing. That's a I mean, imagine that. Imagine the carnage and the savagery, the blood and the smell and the heat and the grotesque nature of what was happening. And all the while in that mayhem, God was working. Psalms 34 was playing in the background. Nobody heard it. Nobody understood it. But Psalms 34, his bones will not be broken. The Old Testament imagery of bones not being broken is an image of resurrection. Even there in that moment, resurrection was being pointed to. The hope of resurrection was there even in the midst in the darkest and most evil day of human history when men killed the Son of God on a cross. The hope of resurrection was there. How much more true is that for you today? We don't serve to be domineering. We don't serve for popularity. We serve because Jesus is awesome and he loves you and he wants to change your heart. And just to drive the point home even further, instead of breaking their legs like they were ordered to, to make sure that he really was dead, they pierced his side with a spear. Again, fulfilling prophecy, Zechariah 12.10. Time and time and time again, Jesus proves his power, he proves his sovereignty, he proves that he is God, and that even with the ability to knock a thousand hardened men, the Navy SEALs of the day, to knock them on their backs with a word, he let that happen for you. 
So when Peter says, I'm a witness to the sufferings of Christ, he's not just using throwaway words there. This is Jesus. This is who we serve. And we are compelled by that love. Look at that love. Ask yourself, really, does that affect you? Does that melt you? Does that, does that bug you? Do you see him? Do you see what he did? As I was teaching this in the evening service, I mean, my mind was just being, I was like, I, 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 I even more so, I just, this guy is so rad. I want this guy to be my boss. I want to do what he tells me to do, even when I don't want to do what he tells me to do, which is a lot, because I trust him. I don't, you don't argue with this kind of logic. I'm a sinner. He's perfect. Even in the midst of carnage, there's resurrection right there. I've learned to just say, Roger that. I don't know what you're doing, but yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's the love. We do not lead churches. We do not live in a domineering way. We do not live for the glory that comes from men and from the world. We live to please him. It doesn't make any sense in the world at all. This doesn't make any sense to the culture around us. But we're not doing it for nothing and we're not doing it for no one. Verse four says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven, Jesus said in Matthew five, the unfading crown of glory. And so likewise, in case you just thought that that was for leaders in the church, likewise, verse five, you younger men be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for God is opposed to the proud and he gives grace to the humble. All of you clothe yourselves with humility. That's an interesting, that's an interesting term. You know, clothe, clothe yourself with humility. What does that mean? Well, it's pretty easy to, to, I mean, maybe, I don't know, I was gonna say today, but I don't think it's even today. I just think in general, people let you know a lot about themselves by the way that they dress. It's actually one of my, one of my favorite things about the motorcycle community is motorcycle clubs that literally wear their affiliation on their backs. You've seen these guys riding through town. They got the big, they've got the top rocker and they've got the bottom rocker telling you who they're affiliated with and where they're from. Hells Angels, California, Mongols, Modesto. Gypsy Jokers, Portland, Oregon. You see these guys. And what I admire about that is that they're not afraid to tell you, this is my tribe. These are my people. This is my identity. They're not afraid to do that. I love that. I love that if, whether they're at Costco picking up a big old thing of toilet paper or they're at the gas station, like you know what these guys are doing. You know who they're with. You know a little bit of what they're up to. You at least know that they're motorcycle enthusiasts who love to, li love to live on the edge a little bit. We identify ourselves the way that we cut our hair, the way that we maybe color our hair, the insignias, insignias that we wear. We, we dress ourselves and represent ourselves when we do so. And we are, when we come to the foot of the cross, that cross where Jesus voluntarily, intentionally died for our sins, that has to humble you. That has to humble you. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna go through Matthew 15 tonight at, at the evening service at night church at 6 p.m. The story of the woman, the Syrophoenician woman who comes to Christ. She says, help my little girl. And Jesus says, it's not right that the bread for the children gets thrown to the dogs. It's like, it's a, it's a controversial statement. But what I'll give away right now is that this woman emulates radical, she manifests radical trust and radical humility in this Jesus. 
Radical humility. Clothe yourself with humility. Be humble. Don't do it for domineering reasons. Don't do it for money. Don't do it for praise. Humble yourself. Do it out of love for the Lord. It's the love of Christ that compels us. God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. This, everything we're talking about, this, this cross, the, the gospel, all of it is a great grace. And humility says, I need grace. Humility does not merit grace, but it really, truly, authentically accepts grace desperately. We know that we need grace. Humility knows that we need grace. We know that we are sinners who deserve nothing. We, are, we know that we are sinners who deserve punishment, eternal punishment in hell. And so humility says, Lord, I have nothing to offer except the sin that made your cross necessary. Please forgive me. That is humility. And then we get the inheritance. We, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, man. Lord and Savior, he's so good. He's so kind. He's so wise. And he's a just judge. And sin is going to be punished one day. And out of grace, God sent his son. He so loved the world that he sent his son so that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And pride says, I don't need that. Arrogance says, no, I don't have sin. I don't need forgiveness. I certainly don't need a savior. Keep stepping. Opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And this is how we sustain this work. If we are to serve and we are to suffer, all those verses I read through the first four chapters of First Peter, how are we actually going to sustain that? How, what's the, the sustenance going to be that keeps us in a place where we can serve and suffer and not have our, our, our threads completely stripped and be done with the ministry and throw it away? We come back to this again and again and again and again. We do not ever graduate from the gospel. We do not ever graduate from the fact that we are sinners who are here only by grace. If your heart is beating right now, if you're, if you're sucking air, that's an act of grace. Everything is an act of grace. This is how we sustain our work. We look to the one who died for us. Look to God and his grace and be inspired. Be lifted up in gratitude. Be lifted up in gratitude. Remind yourself again of the gospel, that you're in exile, but you've been given an identity. You're in exile because you have an identity in the Lord. You're in exile and you have a hope, you have an inheritance. And this will help you continue through this, this prolonged longevity, this obedience in one direction for a long, long time as we do exactly what our king has told us to. We don't do it for power, money, or praise, but out of loving and willing worship. Or to say it another way, verse six, humble, we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he may exalt you at the proper time. This is an amazing thing, the mighty hand of God, how mighty it is, how mighty, well, we don't really know because we're finite creatures, but something that's really helped me, have you guys seen the pictures from the new, I, if you come to the evening service, I'm sorry, so much of this is repetitive, but it's so rad, you get to hear it again. The James Webb Telescope, have you seen these images? Look it up later, James Webb Telescope. We have images now, from outer space that are 4.6 billion light years away. And just for fun, light travels in a year, just, just over, just over 8,000 hours, 5.9 trillion miles. So 5.9 trillion miles away, 4.6 billion times. We have images of that. God made that. The mighty hand of God, how big is his love? How big is his mercy? How big is his character, how big is his grace? It's bigger than 4.6 billion times 5.9 trillion. 
I mean, we just saw that. He's been out there enjoying that all this time and we're just now privy to it. What's another trillion light years past that? We don't know. He does. That hand will lift you up. That hand will lift you up at the right time. It will exalt you. That hand will exalt you at the proper time. Friends, if you're here this morning and you feel unseen, if you feel anonymous, if you're working for the Lord, if you're a prayer warrior who gets up early and nobody knows about it but you, if your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing, you don't blow trumpets, but you also just, you don't get thanks, you don't get praise, the Lord sees you. The mighty hand of the Lord sees you. And he will lift you up. He will exalt you. If you feel that way this morning, if you feel like, man, I've been doing coffee for a long time, and <laughs> thank you, first of all. Thank you. But more importantly than my thanks, look at what Jesus says, and write this down. In Matthew 13, verse 43, he says, the righteous will, son- will shine like the sun in the Father's kingdom. The righteous will shine like the sun in the Father's kingdom. The almighty God of the universe sees you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knit you together while you're in your mother's womb. He sees you. He sees what you're doing. And anonymity will be a thing of the past. You will shine like one of those galaxies, 4.6 billion light years away. He cares for you. He sees you. You can cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And while we're working, while we're serving the Lord, while we're trusting him, all the while, verse eight, we've got to be sober spirit, or be of sober spirit or sober minded. Your translation might say, being watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are happening among your brethren who are in the world. Be alert, be sober minded. Best way to do that, Peter already said it. Chapter one, verse 13. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do not set your hope on the accolades. Do not set your hope on merit. Do not set your hope on people liking you or appreciating what it is that you do. Don't set your hope on anything here. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you'll be brought to God. Chapter three, verse 18. The righteous suffered from the, for the unrighteous so that you might be brought to God. And with God comes everything else. Don't think about the, don't think about the material wealth. Don't think about the, the stuff. You know, the, 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 the problem with the, the prosperity gospel isn't that Jesus isn't into blessing his kids with material stuff. That's, that's very true. And one day that will be consummated. And, and if you're here right now, showered and wearing clothes and you drove yourself here, you've been blessed with a lot of stuff already. It's not that he doesn't love doing that. It's that the, the main point of, is a, an issue of, it's, it's time. It's not right now. Here we're suffering, here we're serving, here we're not home, here we're exiles. But Psalms tells us, 1611, in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Be alert, be sober-minded. What do you think about? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought. Do not set your hope on what is happening right now and the, do- the devil prowls around like a roaring lion trying to convince you that that's not true, trying to convince you that you've gotta get yours, you need it now, you need it yesterday. The devil has been trying to destroy Jesus' work 
since before Jesus even was in his public ministry. Remember Matthew chapter two? Go, he tried to go out and to destroy the, 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 the verdict from Herod. Go out and destroy every two-year-old and younger. Go out and kill him. Matthew chapter two, the devil was trying to destroy Jesus. The temptation in the wilderness, Matthew chapter four, the devil was trying to destroy Jesus. John chapter 13, Judas going to betray him. Jesus said, what you do, do quickly. The devil was roaring. The devil was causing suffering. He was causing mayhem. The Jewish leaders all through the gospels are trying to attack and stop Jesus. And this is still happening today with a distortion of the preaching of the gospel, which is why there's elders, to make sure that anyone who's teaching the Bible is saying what the Bible says. Not what I say, not what Josh says, not what Pip says, not what anybody else says. What does the Bible say? What does Jesus say? The devil will roar and he'll try to mess this up. This is what Paul warned the Galatians about. Galatians 1.6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are those who want to distort the gospel of Christ. And he will attack you with temptations constantly. Second Corinthians 11.3, Paul says, My fear is that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be corrupted from the simplicity and purity of a devotion to Christ. The devil's going to roar. He's going to yell. But notice that it says roar, not bite. First John 1.4, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The devil tries to get into your mind, the devil tries to get into your heart. I, I'm running out of time, so I can't keep going, but I've got stories, man. I mean, we could talk about this all day long. My mind, the devil attacks my mind. The devil tells me that I should have my due, that I should get mine, that that guy that cut me off is the one that's wrong. This is my road and my city, it's my oxygen. You know, we're entitled. And the devil's like, yeah, it is yours, it is yours. You should dominate him. You should get your money. You should have fame. You should have prestige. You should have renown because there's no world after this. The devil doesn't even exist. You know? The, the lion roars. The devil is trying to knock you off. First Peter 1.13, set your hope fully on the grace. And resist, verse 9. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that these experiences of suffering are being shared with your brothers who are in the world. This, this resistance, Galatians 5.17 says, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the spirit are, are opposed to one another. And one of the great graces of the Lord and the great ironies of reality is that the devil will attack you and that's a trial, that's a, that's a trouble. And Peter goes on to say that in chapter one, verse six, that even now if for a while you've been grieved by various troubles, this is so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, uh, will result in praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Even the devil's attacks can be turned around and used against him and for our good. The dude's committing suicide. He's an absolute fool. Do not listen to him. Resist him. How do we do this? We serve. We're going to suffer. Christ suffered. Peter was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. How do we do this? What is our mindset supposed to be? Well, first, you start by stopping, not stopping a bunch of stuff. A bunch of the stuff that you do, don't stop doing it. Don't stop rejoicing. Don't stop believing. Don't stop trusting. Don't stop praying. And don't stop working. Don't stop serving. Don't stop resisting evil. Don't stop resisting temptation. 
Don't start gossiping and grumbling and being cynical and bitter and narcissistic and don't start doubting God. It's something that I've seen in my own life so many times. Friends that I knew in the church grew up, something happened that they didn't like, their life got hard, and the conclusion was God's not paying attention or he's just not there at all. I'm done. They drop their Bible into the trash can and they've never come back because they, they encounter something that the Bible makes very clear is going to come. Suffering. Don't stop believing the Lord. Don't stop believing. Even there, the savagery of the cross, Psalms 34, the song of Golgotha was playing. The hope of resurrection was there even then. How much more so for you now? Don't stop resisting. How is this possible? Well, for 80 or 90 years, we got to do this. Verse 10, and then I'll start closing out. After you have suffered for a little while, how long is a little while? I mean, I, I like to think six months, year tops. I got things to do. After you've suffered for a little while, I'm thinking more like 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. How long do you expect to live? 80, 90 years? Done. Suffering. Suffering. 4.6 billion light years away. Come on. Come on. 80 years? With a hope, with an inheritance, with a tribe, with a people, with a family, with a God like this? 80 years of service, 80 years of work. After you have suffered for a little while, this is another one of those verses, man, I read over it and I just like, I don't catch it, you know? I don't catch it, but it's right here. After you suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ. Eternal doesn't make sense in our brains, but we know it's real. The Lord has put eternity into the hearts of men and women. 4.6 billion light years away. Go look at that picture and think, my God is bigger than that. His love is bigger than that. His love goes further. His grace goes farther. His attention to me is even in more detail. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, he will restore, strengthen, confirm, and ground you. James 1.12 says that we'll receive a crown of life 2 Timothy 4, 8, a crown of righteousness. Romans 8, 17 promises that we are co-heirs with Christ, which means that we don't just get out of hell and then left to go off into pasture. We get Jesus' home. We get a place at the table. We become co-heirs with Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 this light and momentary affliction, and I know that it oftentimes does not feel light and does not feel momentary, but that's why we set our hope on the grace that is going to be revealed, the grace that is going to be brought, that inheritance that is waiting, that we are protected for. The light and momentary affliction is preparing for us a weight of glory beyond all comprehension. Second Corinthians four sixteen and following. I tried to describe Niagara Falls to myself as I was preparing for this. So I was like, you know, something that's big, right? Like 4.6 billion, that's too big. Niagara Falls, it's big. <laughs> it's enormous, it's mighty, it's powerful, it's unstoppable, it's incomprehensible. It'll swallow you and all of your friends and not even make a dent in its vast depth. And that is the glory that you're stepping into forever. That is what Jesus has made possible for you. If you are born again, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are safe. Friends, keep working. 
what Jesus made very clear at the Sea of Galilee in the end, John chapter 21, is that his resurrection did not mean that he didn't take his boys with him, you know? He left, and he left them there. This is time for work. We've got everything to look forward to. We've got every, joy, every reason for joy and for hope and for peace and for sustained workmanship. Jesus is our prime example. But while we're here, friends, it's gonna hurt, but he is good, amen? To him, Silvanus, I have briefly written to you. I've gotta close out, but Silvanus was a friend he was with Paul, he was one of Paul's companions on his missionary journey. You can read that uh, in Acts chapter 15. Verse 13, she who is in Babylon, that's most likely the church in Rome. You can look into that on your own time. Uh, greetings also from my son Mark. And verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. Here we go. Now I'm just getting started. I'm kidding, we're not gonna. I thought about implementing that next month. That's how we're gonna. We should have done that while Josh was gone. We missed our chance. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Amen. I want to close out with one, just one quick thought. Um, yeah, I got a couple minutes. Someone might say, how do you do this? Like, so you just, so, okay, okay, Pastor Ian, fine. Uh, don't work for, uh, don't work for a payout. Don't work for prestige. Don't work for uh, a clap on the back. Don't work for money. Don't work for an attaboy, but you just spent the last 48 minutes and 59 seconds telling us that that's what we're gonna do with the Lord. And the difference is this. The difference is this. If, if, if that's what you think, if you think, okay, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll bust my hump while I'm here, but I'm still doing it for a paycheck. I'm still doing it for heaven. No, you're not doing it for heaven. You have heaven. If you're saved, you're saved. The thief on the cross who died hours after he accepted Lord, the Lord Jesus, is in the same heaven as you. We don't do this to lord it over people. We don't do this for clout. We don't do this for esteem. This is all by grace to begin with, grace that we do not deserve. By the very word mercy, Lord, I need mercy. That's, that means give me something I do not deserve and I cannot earn, Lord, please, I need you. This is not about merit. This is not about climbing up some, some ladder of, of, of hierarchy. This is about Loving this Jesus who saved you from your sins and going out into the world and saying, hey, dude, come with me. I'm not gonna be up here and you down here. We're gonna do this together. It's not about my joy and you being lower. It's about shared joy. We don't do this to be better than other people. We don't do this to be better believers than other believers. We're doing this to share heaven with them. Peter says this, 1 Peter 2 2.12, keep the conduct, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and then glorify God on the day of visitation. This is others oriented. Others are to be invited and encouraged, not shunned and dominated over. We bring people with us. We don't lord this over them. We don't hold this over them because we are sinners who need a savior the same as everybody else. Jesus came and he died so that we could have that. Paid for our sins, was raised for our justification. He gives us his righteousness as if it is ours. And we're clean. Clean of our sins. Worthy of heaven. Co-heirs 
with Christ. Friends, if you're here this morning, what do I do? How do I do this? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Repent of your sins and say, I have this cross, that was because of me and it's for me. I want it, I'll take it. Don't be proud, be humble and you have grace, the grace of eternity. And you can come, you can pray that prayer in your head right now. You can pray it out loud right now. You can come and pray with one of us on staff. I'll be in the back here sipping decaf. It's pretty much my practice these days. Come and pray with me. Come and talk with me. Today is the day of salvation. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. You might die on your way home. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He is good. Look how good he is. Go home and read John 13 through 21. I mean, read the whole book, but 13 through 21, so sick. Jesus is good. Amen? Amen. Bow with me. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for being trustworthy. Thank you for showing on the cross how much power you had, that you were not a God who was dominated, that you were not a God who was bested, that you were not a God who was outwitted or overpowered, but that you humbled yourself to the point of death, even death on a cross. You, you let them take you because you had a mission. And your mission was to seek and to save the lost. And Lord, I pray this morning that if anybody needs a word of encouragement, Lord, that this might have been it. I pray, Lord, that, that, will con- that this word will continue to be it as they go home throughout their week. I pray, Lord, for anyone here who does not bow the knee and say, Jesus is Lord. I pray for anyone who does not believe in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Lord, draw them convict them, bug them, make them come talk to me, to Evan, to one of the elders, one of the staff, to somebody, to friends. Lord, bring them to repentance. Thank you for being so kind. Thank you for having such a long patience, 4.6 billion miles and more of patience. We need a God like that. Thank you for your goodness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey friends, this is Russ Lacey, one of the pastors here at Door of Hope Southeast. Thanks for listening to this teaching. We always want to encourage you to give to your local church and would never want to supplant that. But if you're a regular listener and would like to help our church as we seek to point people to Jesus and minister here in the city of Portland, we'd welcome your prayers and financial support. Just head over to dooroftheopedx.org and click give from the menu bar. May God bless you.